talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Ted and Diana are in the newsroom. Will is on the board. It's Grey Cup Week in the Hammer. May have to launder the black and gold again before Sunday. Here's Scott Thompson! Or perhaps just buy more. Or what you can do is uh, tomorrow night... What day is it? Uh, tomorrow night at uh, First Ontario Centre, Bulldogs in Oshawa are playing, and the Bulldogs are wearing uh, very cool tie cat uh, themed uh, jerseys that you can bid on, and uh, afterwards the money goes to uh, the Bulldogs Foundation. Uh, so there you go. You can increase your uh, black and gold, whether it's in the form of a bulldog or the tie cats or a combination of the two. Uh, all the be- uh, details on that on the bulldog. Uh, website. Very cool idea for them. Everybody's getting into it, man. It's Grey Cup week. Ken Mann's going to be joining us now, a reporter right here at Global News Radio 900 CHML, and this morning charged with following the Grey Cup. I understand, Ken, that it was parachuted in via a jet ski from a helicopter. It landed in the lake, and then uh, Stockwell Day drove it all the way up to uh, the shoreline and handed it over to some Mounties. Was it something like that, Ken Mann? <laughs> well, I missed some of that. that, that <laughs> no, that would have been something. <laughs> you missed that part of it. All well, right, so 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 tell us what happened and, and how the cup did arrive in the hammer. Well, it uh, took off from a. Uh, they loaded it onto a military chopper, I guess, up at the Warplane Heritage Museum, and flew it down to Bayfront Park with the commissioner on board, and landed in the snow, which was quite the sight because it. Uh, sent all the snow flying all over the place and into everybody's eyes and, and everything else, which is great. <laughs> I bet the media loved that. Yeah, no, it was it was a lot of fun. And then uh, and then they marched it over to the podium for the speeches and uh, it's it's a beautiful trophy. It really is one of the nicest in, in all of pro sports, I think. And uh, has a lot of history behind it, as uh, most of the cups in pro sports, and lots of stories to tell. So talk about who was down there and, and what the buzz was around this thing finally arriving. Well, there was a few fans here and there, I guess, that uh, managed to hear about it and, and managed to make it out. A lot of uh, a lot of local officials and dignitaries as well. As mentioned, the CFL commissioner, uh, the owner of the Tiger Cats, or caretaker, as he likes to be referred to, Bob Young, and the mayor and uh, many other elected officials, Andrea Horvath on hand, some of her NDP team as well, all decked out in their tie cat colors for the event today. So, yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. So it seems to be a uh, a real buzz in the city now that the tie cats are in it. I mean, it's one, it's great enough just to host the uh, the event, but then to end up with the home team in it. And I know it's a bit of an abbreviated version uh, this year, but it seems like they still got some great stuff planned and, and a big week ahead. And of course, it's the first time in in twenty five years, right? That yeah. uh, that the city has in fact hosted the Grey Cup only the third time in the last fifty years. So. It's a big deal and, and certainly a long time coming and a long wait for a lot of people. And and so, yeah, very exciting. And uh, it won't quite be the same as it would be without pandemic restrictions in place. But as the commissioner pointed out uh, today, this will be a lot of fun this year and the city will get to do it again in 2023. That's it. I mean, you know, it, it'll be fascinating to see what this version 
Edmonton looks like, and then once hopefully we get to expand it out in 2023, what it'll look like as uh, the full meal deal. So what's on tap for the Cup now? Where does it go? Any idea what happens to it now? Uh, you've got me stumped, but um, um, I know that there are a number of events that are planned throughout the next few days. I presume that the the Cup will be involved in some of that, and, and I believe you can find all of that information on the city's website as of today. All right, Ken Mann, who is following the Cup as it arrived uh, in Hamilton today uh, via helicopter from the Warplane Heritage Museum and arriving in fine style for the festivities uh, this week, right up until, obviously, Grey Cup Sunday. Ken, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Have fun. Thank you, Scott. All right, so great news. Uh, the festivities are underway. The Cup has landed. And, uh, again, hit the website for all the details on uh, what is going on in Hamilton at uh, hamilton.ca. We were talking just yesterday how uh, the U.S. announced uh, it will stage a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympic Games. Uh, some are saying Canada should do the same thing. Now it appears China is reacting to this. And let's bring in Gordon Holden, director of the China Institute and professor of political science university of alberta and with us now gordon as always thank you so much for the time hope you're doing well i am thank you scott uh what about china's reaction to this boycott obviously we're waiting to see if others will follow how do you sell to the rest of the world you know we're having a party and you better come or there's going to be trouble how how do you sell this well it's a i think most countries would probably expect other countries to send high-level delegations to Olympics. It's a big deal. It costs billions of dollars. Uh, but China's special and then it presents so many challenges for Western countries, for Western democracies. So it was, uh, I think the China may actually make a mistake to insist to make a big deal of the domestic, of the diplomatic dimension. They have the athletes coming with the more important part, uh, in my opinion, and they should be content with that. Uh, but their expectation clearly is that everybody show up with bells on. So do you think a re- the reaction may turn into, shh, shh, at least the athletes are coming, let's just try to go with this and, and hope that nobody else jumps on board? I think once they're through dealing with this issue about who's not coming, I think they will want to not spoil their own parade and make a big deal about the success of the Winter Games, etc., the venues, the athletes, and all of that, rather than endlessly harp on about this. But they have made that threat of retaliation vis-a-vis the United States. So it will be interesting to see what exactly they have in mind. So who else will follow, uh, for example, Canada, the UK, Europe? And, and what does it say when, if they don't? Gordon, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Uh, uh, did you hear the question? Uh, w- yeah, will what, others what follow, and, and, and what happens if those that don't, or why would they not? Well, I think there are actually going to be very few people very few countries that show up, and that will send a message of it in and of itself, and that's the risk. Uh, if, there's a, if there's a very small number of people, that won't, um, a small number of countries, that won't send a message that the United States would have liked. They'd like to be there in what diplomats call good company. If they don't have that, uh, it will be noted. When will we know if other um, other countries will react? And, and are you surprised they haven't already as soon as the U.S. has made this decision? I am a bit surprised. I had thought, actually, that the U.S. might have pre-cooked this. Um, and uh, often they do it in that fashion, announcing that they and 10 other countries will, or 20, etc. But if the number's really modest, 
Um, that is, let's say, just Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the UK, the usual um, Five Eyes suspects. If that's the only ones that are taking part, I think that also sends a signal of Chinese influence and power, not one that the United States would have intended. And that's my take your fights carefully. Yeah, that's my. That was my next question. Was uh, obviously, as you assumed, if people would jump on board, that certainly sends a message. But if the opposite happens, what does that say about China's control? Yeah, it's a bit like if you call a demonstration in front of the legislature and you have twenty people show up, it yeah. isn't it isn't the signal you want. Now, obviously, it's a different circumstance. The U.S. is a major player in and of itself, and what the Chinese mean by retaliation is not clear. My guess is that they'll pick some prominent conference or meeting, uh, international meeting that's going to be in the United States, and simply say, whoops, we're not going to bother coming. You didn't come to our party. We're not coming to yours. That'd be my guess. Does anybody care about that? I mean, it seems to me that, that, that they would care more if we didn't show up than if they didn't show up. I think, it's, I think that is the case. It depends on the topic, of course. If it's like climate change, mm-hmm. if it's climate change, for example, yeah. China's not there, there's no progress because they're the big polluters. It would depend. Uh, but uh, I don't think that much of the world is going to pay too much attention to this. I thought, actually, the diplomatic boycott was a elegant way to not wreck things for our athletes uh, and yet still send a point. But we're in a waiting game right now to see who all is going to join in and whether Canada will indeed. Uh, again, what about Canada, do you think, there? And uh, specifically because now it looks like we're getting a new ambassador to China. Yes, well, I don't think we'll have, we certainly won't have a new ambassador. In, well, we might. By, by February, we might well have. I'm guessing that that person, he or she, will not show up until sometime in January or February. It's an unusual time to do this in the middle of the winter, but uh, perhaps even as late as the spring. We've gone much longer than that recently. So we'll see. But um, um, it will be, I think, that Boycat will be overshadowed by the games themselves, which I think is unavoidable. When you have Canadian Olympic hockey team playing, etc., I don't think people will be harping constantly about the diplomatic um, snub that's been sent to China. We'll see. Interesting. Gordon Holden with us, Director of the China Institute, Professor of Political Science with the University of Alberta. Uh, Gordon, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Thank you so much, Scott. Something pretty wacky has been happening on social media that uh, involves the band and their name. And anybody who knows anything about the Arkells knows it's a street that they lived on uh, in Westdale around the university that they all, well, where the house was, they, they lived while going to school. And so, but there's a guy by the name of Ron Kells. And I guess he uses Arkells, meaning the first initial of his name. And, you know, rather than, you know, sort of sending Scott Radley did a column on this, but rather than doing some sort of legal avenue, it, it seems to have ended up on social media. So let's talk about that. And Drake withdrawing his 2022 Grammy nominations. Eric Alper is with us, music and pop culture expert. He is with us now. Eric, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Um, I'm great. We should also add that I'm not a trademark lawyer. So all lawsuits are off with whatever you and I talk about. All right. So we, <laughs> we can't, we can't bet on anything that is said here today in this shameless interview. <laughs> right. in the court right. of law, yeah. yeah, that's good. Okay. Yeah. You can't take this with you to the bank or the court for that matter. So I, I'm sure you've seen a few of these. We've also seen it with songs. I mean, the stairway to heaven is a perfect example of where people have, have, have uh, I guess, infringed in copyrights. What about a name? Uh, does this from your per- uh, professional perspective, uh, have anything to stand on here? 
Yeah, you know, let, let's just assume that this is all true, because I don't yeah. think it is. I think it's an amazing and yeah, PR, PR stunt, stunt to get yeah. people talking about it. But let's say that this is true. You you can't actually, you know, infringe on somebody else's trademark when it comes to, say, a band name. In fact, today, there was a band that is uh, named after an artist, but they kind of changed one letter in it. But, you know, it's they're just aiming for a lawsuit, essentially. Mm. And I told him that. But, you know, if this R. Kells is is real, um, I, you know, he's got no case whatsoever. It's uh, um, I don't think that there's any confusion in the marketplace that this guy, R. Kells, is going to be headlining the, the Grey Cup, although stranger things have happened. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it seems like it's a really kind of great story. But, you know, when it comes to social media, though, people tend to get a lot angrier than they are in person. They hide behind their screen in terms of anger and frustration. So, you know, at first glance, this is like, yeah, I think I've gotten more bad tweets um, in this kind of manner when people are arguing against the Beatles versus the Stones. So I'm not surprised yeah. that he's getting upset. Okay, so uh, let's say and assume it's a PR stunt. As PR stunts go in the game of pop music, rock and roll, what have you, how does this one compare? I guess it is fit for social media. Yeah, I think it's it's amazing. You know, w- when artists are releasing a song, no matter who it is, whether you're the Arkells or, or Elton John or Ariana Grande, your competition is is the other 75 million songs that are on Spotify and music streaming services. And so you're always looking for an edge, especially from a PR perspective. And what I do during the day is not come up with schemes and plans like this, because this is actually really good. Um, but you want to separate yourself from the crowd. And with so much news and nothing really sticking these days, because we're living in a world where, um, you know, we all know things that are happening halfway around the world, thanks to social media, this this is a great way for, you know, to put the spotlight on the band Arkells and also the Grey Cup having, you know, a national mm-hmm. attention um, because usually, you know, the halftime show might be a little bit waning in terms of success and popularity in mainstream media. So they've actually achieved um, quite a big deal in the last 72 hours because of this. Amazing. The angle they took is over the name and not the product <laughs> or the song or the album they're promoting. Yeah, which which I think is smart too, because if they yeah. were going to go based Trademark on the name, name yeah. of 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 a song, uh, you know, ninety eight percent of the population doesn't know an Arkell song, no matter how mm. big they are. But the Arkell's name, well, you know, a lot of people may know that. So um, they actually pinpointed what people know, rather than assuming that people can name an Arkell song outside of Hamilton, which they are certainly popular. But even when you sold a million copies in this country, there's still 31 million people who don't even know what that band is. It's amazing how uh, the machine works here, Eric. That's for sure. All right. Drake withdrawn his 2022 Grammy nomination. Um, should you be should you complain about an honor that you're given, especially when I think they actually enter into this to be nominated? Do they not? Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly what happened. Drake, for all intents and purposes, um, submitted his own music, although that he's had a little bit of a rough relationship with the Grammys and various awards like the Junos in the past. So his team submitted. Um, but again, like, let's play conspiracy theory for a short moment. Let's say that behind the scenes, Drake and his team were working alongside the Grammys in maybe Drake opening up the show or something happened that you know, upset Drake, Mm. and he's pulling out. That could happen. 
But let's say, on the other hand, talking about PR, while nobody is talking about the Grammys, he does this kind of a stunt and pulls this opinion, and now everybody is talking about Drake. Even if Drake had won those two nominations that he's in, he would not have received the amount of free publicity um, in this as if he won. So as a PR move, I think it's brilliant. Um, As a legit source of frustration and anger, I think Drake may actually have that too. He's posted on Instagram um, that, you know, maybe now is the time of the Grammys, who was once the highest form of recognition, may no longer matter to artists that exist now and the ones that come after. And he's right. You know, we've seen a drop in ratings. We've seen a drop in audience numbers for all award shows, the Grammys, Oscars, Emmys, Junos. So maybe Drake knows his audience a lot better than people give him credit for. Eric Elper with us, music and pop culture expert, talking about everything musical as we head into a Grey Cup and a Grey Cup weekend. Eric, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thanks so much for having me. We'll talk soon. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Obviously, uh, lots of chatter around COVID-19, vaccinations, uh, obviously around new variants such as Omicron and such. But researchers at McMaster University have begun human trials on two generation vaccines developed at Mac. Both are designed to be inhaled as opposed to the needle in the arm and ready to combat whatever variants, uh, variants are thrown at them to talk more about all of this let's bring in dr fiona smale uh, professor pathology molecular medicine co-director special immunology services at mcmaster university and with us now doctor thank you for the time i hope you're doing well yes thank you very much it's nice to speak with you so tell us why it's so important to have this option as well as a needle why does an aerosol or an inhaler uh why is that attractive as a way to administer this medication Well, I think we've made amazing progress over the last 12 months with the vaccines that we've had available. But as um, we now see, there are new variants coming. And so we're really looking at what we're calling second-generation vaccines, vaccines that may um, be um, more immunogenic, protect us better, um, and protect us against the variants. And so that's why we're looking at a different route of administration into the lungs. Is this about strictly a different way of administering this drug, or is it a different drug as well? For example, are you taking the current medications and then just doing this with them, changing the method of distribution, or is this a completely different vaccine? It's a sort of like a completely different vaccine. Rather than just having the one protein, the spike protein that we hear quite a lot about, because that's where most of the mutations occur, we've included two other proteins, a polymerase um, protein as well as a nuclear protein. And we believe that by using these three proteins, we'll be able to have a much broader activity, a broader immune response and better protection. Is this a bit like predicting the future, uh, planning for what's ahead? Yes, I think what we're trying to do with our vaccine is be flexible and nimble in terms of the route of administration and recognizing that when we give a vaccine into the lungs, we can generate what we're calling sort of non-specific innate immunity, which um, will protect against those strains of of virus that we don't even know exist yet. 
So will this eventually replace the needle doctor? Would you, could you see the, you know, when it, when it comes to a COVID-9 vaccine or anything, I guess, depending upon what the mutation is and what the variant is, can you see this actually replacing the needle as a better way of administering these drugs than through the arm? Well, well, I think um, we we believe that this will be a better um, way to um, develop protection against um, uh, COVID. You know, these are early days, and we still need to learn a lot about this route and how effective it would be. Um, but this is really the way of the future. Yes. Variants are obviously a concern, Doctor, as, as, as we continue living with this global pandemic. Does this uh, method allow you to be more flexible, no, more nimble in handling those variants? Exactly. Um, it does give us um, really quite a lot of flexibility related to new variants. The nice thing about having the three proteins is that they're more preserved. They stay um all the same, at least the polymerase and the nuclear protein. So we would expect that they would remain active against any um, any of the variants that could um, come along. And then again, as I mentioned, the root of administration gives us um, what we believe is a more robust and more protective um, response, again, against the new variants. Uh, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here, Doctor, but will we able, if this all works out as planned, will we be able to produce these ourselves in in Canada? Um, we already are producing them in Canada. We've um, uh, made these uh, viral vectors in our facility at McMaster University. So, yes, we are very capable of producing them here in Canada. And what is the future? Obviously, you're moving on to human trials. So, uh, and and I understand that's uh, really takes the one of the greatest lengths of time in this process. So, how will that unfold for you? Uh, we will be doing a phase one study, which is in a small number of healthy participants, mainly looking to make sure that it's safe to proceed. As well, we will be measuring the immune responses both in the lung and in the blood. Um, and and we anticipate that once we've been dem- able to demonstrate that it is safe and, and we've established the dose to use, we c- then could proceed with phase two studies with a larger number of people and, um, and partners to um, help us along the way. If all goes well, Doctor, a timeline, when could we see this being used? Uh, that's always very difficult to predict. Yeah. Um, um, but I think that the information that we get from this research and this research study will inform us very quickly as to the direction, the new directions we should be going with COVID vaccines. Dr. Fiona Smale with us, Professor of Pathology, Molecular uh, Molecular Medicine, Co-Director of Special Immunology Services at McMaster University. Uh, trials beginning on a new uh, COVID-19 vaccine, uh, very adaptable to variants and designed to be an inhaler. Doctor, thanks so much for the time and insight. Good luck moving forward. Thank you very much. 
You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Hello, Ted Michaels, Diana Weeks, Willers. I hope you're all having a great day today. It's a good day today, yeah. It's a good day. Yeah. It's a Tuesday and it's cold outside, but the Grey Cup is in the hammer and hopefully it'll stay here for a while. Yeah. Uh, all right, so uh, let's start with the poll question of the day, as we always do. Uh, in case you don't know the backstory here, obviously Beijing in China hosting the Winter Olympics coming up very, very shortly. Uh, the U.S. has said they will have a diplomatic boycott, and basically that means the athletes are going, but no dignitaries going, no people to show off and in the pomp and circus circumstance and such and the question is should canada follow the the united states and diplomatically boycott the beijing olympics 85 percent of you are saying yes ted let's start with you uh olympics diplomats stay home what um i'm going to one of the few times actually agree with something the chinese government their quote yesterday was basically along the lines of if the diplomats stay home nobody cares the olympics are not about the diplomats the olympics are not about how these people sitting in the stands the uh, olympics are about the athletes now if the athletes stayed home different story this one a collective from my side meh all right diana your thoughts on all of this uh athletes there diplomats aren't and obviously i don't think the fans care one iota as ted is expressing however this is a black eye for the hosting country your thoughts yeah, I definitely think that, uh, you know, it would, would not be fair to the athletes to, you know, pull up, pull them out. I think they need to go. And like Ted said, it's about the athletes. As for the politicians and all the pomp and circumstance that surrounds it, I don't necessarily think that that's necessary with what's going on. Um, but, yeah, I mean... I always like when you are, you know, when someone says we're having a party and you better be there. And if you're not, there's going to be trouble. <laughs> How do you sell that to the world? Will? Right. Well, I mean, that's all of my birthday parties up until the pandemic. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I think uh, to object to something that uh, the government of China said a little while back, you know, they were talking about, oh, well, we don't want politics in sports. Politics and sports have been a part of each other uh, going back uh, yep. years, centuries. Uh, look at some of the Olympics in the past. Uh, however... Um, I think, yeah, diplomatic, this is the sort of thing where if it weren't for the fact that we were talking about and had it in our poll question, I think it would go in one uh, one ear and out the other for a lot of the viewers. Uh, it will have repercussions, and it's probably a fair move, again, in the political landscape, but it's it's not, uh, not going to be the sort of intersection of politics and sports as, say, uh, Jesse Owens or something like that uh, in the World past. Tennis Association still wants to know where their tennis player is, and we just got the two Michaels back. And I think see, this has something to do with this as well. All oh, right, let's move on. Definitely, definitely. Let's move on. A, comp- a company in uh, the United States, a mortgage company, fires 900 employees over Zoom. Should you fire employees over Zoom? I'm thinking, wow, this does let the uh, employer off the hook, but it also means I don't have to put on pants for any reason. Uh, we'll start with you, Ted. Your thoughts? Firing employees over Zoom, good or bad? So gutless, so classless. Yeah. And I was reading the story about the uh, CEO of the company, that, and it's not the first time. So, um <laughs> Well, he basically said something like, well, those of you that are sitting here uh, are, that are, are... If you're are, getting this call... Well, he said, basically, those of you that are on this call are the unlucky ones. It's like, what yeah. a way to start off. Like, come on. You know, bad enough before Christmas. I get it. There's no good time. But 900 people, see you later? Like, come on. Diana? Well, 
you know, if we're going to talk about that, I mean, there's a certain media company that will remain unnamed that slashed almost as many jobs with an email. Um, so I don't know what's worse, uh, email mm. or Zoom. You know, at least Zoom, you have the decency to look at the person maybe face to face, whereas an email, it's just blasted off to you. Uh, hey, you don't have a job anymore, you know? So, yeah. I heard somebody say, you know, 900 people on a Zoom call were every single one of them paying attention. What if all of a sudden someone comes, hey, I missed that. What did he say? What did he say? What happened there? Yeah. Uh, that's the thing I'm thinking about. <laughs> yeah. And then also, it ends and you're. You yeah. Know. Yeah. What happened there? Are we good? Is everything good there? <laughs> oh, uh, the worst I ever heard, and this was not in firing somebody, but actually the reverse in hiring somebody. And uh, the person did not get the job, but the boss called them in anyway. Uh, and they had to travel from one town to the other. Uh, called them in anyway to say, by the way, you didn't get the job. Which oh. to me, I just thought oh. was, oh, I, I would, you do that? I would appreciate I a phone call, but to actually yes, get dressed and go to get out, in and uh, Drive no. an hour down to wherever and then, yeah, be Thanks told it was bizarre. Thanks for coming in. Good yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. <laughs> exactly. Or you've heard about those ones. I don't know where it was when I saw this, but someone got in a road rage incident on the highway right before their job interview. They got there and realized the person in the car was giving them the interview. Oh. No. Yeah. Oh. Can you imagine? That was a few oh, years ago. Did they get the job? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How did they? That's a huge hurdle. Did they get the job? I don't know, I'll try to find that article, but I do remember reading it and going, oh, man, that's so bad. I'm thinking. I told this, I've told this. I've told this story on the air before. And again, we're getting off topic here. But somebody who works for one of the banks and is was in charge of hiring new people. These would be kids coming right out of university, their first sort of jobs after getting their degree and getting into the banking business. And I guess they had like uh, two or three candidates that they were going to go with. And they decided to offer them, like, you know, present a formal offer. Here's what you'll get. Here's what your job description is. And, you know, get back to us in the day or so. And one of the applicant's parents called the boss and said, you know, Jimmy's uh, would really like this job, but would like a little bit more money. And oh, that no. was it. They were taken right out of the uh, mix and dropped right into the cylindrical file. That's, that's and that was a, it. That's a classic. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's a classic. Everybody loves Raymond. I was yeah. just Robert's, <laughs> Robert's trying to get a job with the FIA, FBI, and his mother sitting there. That's right. Phones out. Oh, classic. Yes. It happens, man. There's the oh. the ultimate helicopter oh. parent. All right. Uh, this was this was Will's idea, and this came out of uh, a snowstorm. Uh, I forget where it was, whether it was in the U.S. or the Europe or wherever. But uh, people. Uh, became stranded in a pub or in an Ikea store or in wherever. And, you know, there's not much you can do. You're stuck there for 24 or 48 hours. So uh, Will came up with a question, where would you like to be snowed in? If you got stuck with, say, 20 people somewhere, where would you like to spend that 24 or 48 hours? Ted? You know what? This is my answer, and I'm sticking to it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, <laughs> no, it wouldn't happen to me because I would be... Uh, prepared enough to know that I have to shovel a lot of snow and I would not be snowed in and it wouldn't be an issue. There. What? No, that's a <laughs> that's call yeah. yeah. This is a, this is a f- fantasy thing no, here. Somebody, oh, you're okay. standing at the doorway with your scarf, your, your scarf on and your hat and the shovel in your hand and everybody goes, no, Ted, it's not going to happen. We can't find your car. Anyway, okay. Where would it be? All right, you know what? Um, Probably <laughs> like a pizza restaurant oh, yeah. Or, yeah. or a bakery or something. I'm Granddad's. Oh, hey, listen, being <laughs> stuck in a snowstorm and Granddad's Donuts, <laughs> save the fries uh, for me. Oh, Throw man. the blueberries Di- on them. Diana? I'm going to say like 
a really nice department store, almost like elf vibes, you know, like at night, all those things that in there. Um, and, and possibly, though, if, if there could be some treats and beverages in <laughs> yeah. there, that would be nice. Like, oh, a, I... like a department store that maybe also sells nice wine or nice chocolate or something. So you could just walk around. <laughs> you just want the whole mall, Diane. I do. Just let us I... have access to the entire mall. That That'd would be actually great. be pretty sweet. Yeah. Uh, Will, you want to weigh in? Uh, I will weigh in as well, and I'm going along the lines of mall. I'm thinking a mall, just like Diana, yeah. you want the space, because you're going to get know. some people getting buggy, maybe really want to leave and insist they can find their car like some people around the round <laughs> no. table, but you want oh. mall spaced out just a little bit, you get the food court, you get a place where you can lie down, take a nap, just like uh, like I do before they tell me to I move don't, on down I don't know if I don't know if I even like going to malls during the best of times, whether I want to get stuck at one. No, but this I would be know. empty. The people yeah, are the worst part when it's all crowded, right? Like, late in the day, good it's going to be fewer Diana. folks. Maybe there's what even a, a theater. What about oh, yeah. uh, a destination? I thought Disney World. Wouldn't that be a fun place to be stranded? But obviously, yeah. I was going outside of the uh, rules here. That could be all a right. horror story, eventually. <laughs> another great job. Thank you, William Erskine, Ted Michaels, Diana Weeks. Uh, it's another edition of The Roundtable. All right, Ontario's COVID-19 science advisory table has released new projections that indicate uh, cases could rise substantially even without the new Omicron variant and that vaccinating the young kids and increased health measures, public health measures, are the key to keeping this curve flat and flattening even more. Let's bring in Dr. Ahmad Khalid, health policy expert. He is with us now. Doctor, thanks for the time as always. Hope you're well. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. Always lots of concern, Ahmad, as soon as new modeling comes out. What are you th- are, are your thoughts on what we're seeing and what we heard today? Well, I think the three big giveaways from the Ontario Science Table is that the vaccines so far are actually working quite well. Uh, they're highly effective. We know that unvaccinated people have uh, five times fold higher risk of getting COVID-19 or symptomatic COVID-19, which tells us that if you are vaccinated, double vaccinated, the vaccine is proving to be highly effective so far. And second, that the ICU cases will rise. I mean, this is not a surprise. I've talked about this on yeah. the show before. We all expected come winter time when we're all more indoors uh, that, you know, that the ICU capacity will increase and there'll be more cases that we need to watch out for. And lastly, is that there is still a massive, significant uncertainty when it comes to Omicron. Uh, We don't really know exactly the potential impact it might have, but we do suspect that if it's anything like how it's played out in South Africa, that it will actually just make our ICU capacity into the dangerous limits. And then we have to look carefully at uh, maintaining vigilance over the impact of Omicron that might have in our communities. Doctor, I want to I, I want to ask you about what Dr. Fauci said at the White House earlier today, and I think it's the second time he has made reference to this. And I don't mean to diminish uh, the concern around the new variant or any new variant for that matter. Uh, but he said that early indication and he said this may and it's very, very, very early information. I want to stress this. But he said uh, it may be less severe than Delta from early indications simply because it took off and spiked so so quickly uh, in South Africa, but didn't necessarily translate into severe illness. Your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's too early to make a comment on that. I think Dr. Fauci is probably speaking on preliminary results that we're all looking at, which says that, you know, that the, the variant doesn't have as much of a severe impact on people who are vaccinated. The majority of cases that have been affected or severely affected by Omicron have been among the unvaccinated people. But what's more relevant for us Canadians is the fact that we live in a national healthcare system with a very burnt out staff. 
um, who are very tired uh, after two years of the pandemic. And so our, my biggest concern is that even if Omicron plays a small impact on us, we're already reaching capacity. And I think the science table is, is signaling this, saying that our system is already so thinly stretched with the pandemic, yet alone add to it another uh, variant that might have catastrophic effects. The point they're trying to make is that it is the pandemic is not over and that vigilance needs to continue on like how this will might impact our communities. And I want to stress what I said too. Uh, Dr. Fauci also said that was among those who were fully vaccinated and or boosted, not necessarily those that uh, that were not. Um, obviously, transmissibility that how quickly this spreads is a big issue. Um, what what makes this variant? Uh, and I guess you know. And again, we I guess we really don't know. My question is, what will it take for this new variant, Omicron, to overtake Delta? It obviously spreads faster. Uh, does it have to be more dangerous? What makes one dominant over the other? As I, I think, there's like 99% of the cases here are the Delta variant. Will we see the Omicron take uh, take over top spot ahead of the the Delta? It has potential. It has the potential to take over Delta in the sense that it can spread throughout our community faster. I think what we're more concerned about is that can our defense mechanisms in place uh, defend us against it? So what I mean here by that, you know, can our vaccination stand against the Omicron? And I think that is the more critical question is that we will we see that the Omicron virus that does not allow or invade our immunity uh, in a way that it leads majority of us who are double vaccinated in the hospital. And so you know, it's 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 not as much of it how fast it can transmit, but it's more about how how much impact can it have. Will it result in a higher number of ICU admissions and more people in the hospitals? I think that's the critical question that we're all waiting for the data to see and find out what will happen. And are we still what seven to fourteen days away from that? Because yeah, they said, correct. yeah, any Go ahead. day now results are coming up, but it's probably in the next week or so that we'll have more confirmative results around the, the impact it has. Uh, until we get that information, will we know if this holiday is any different from the last? I mean, here's what I've said before, and I say it again. You know, we need to stop the thinking that we will ever live in a time that infectious mm. disease like COVID-19 will go away. And I urge everybody listening, you know, I know we're all tired of this. Nobody wants to keep living in this uncertainty. So we each and every one of us needs to figure out a way to adapt to this new reality that we're living in. That's not going away anytime soon. So what I mean by that is that Face mask, I think, is, is a, is a, we know is a very effective strategy. Social distancing, we know, is an effective strategy. And most certainly, we know that fact, being vaccinated protects you. And so if you have all those three mechanisms in place, you almost can still continue to live your life the way you've done before and responsibly during a pandemic and just, you know, make sure that you monitor your symptoms. So in case you develop any symptoms, you do get tested to make sure that it is not COVID and that you're not spreading the virus. Well said, Dr. Ahmad Khalid with us, health policy expert on the new modeling that is out today. Doctor, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Same to you, Scott. Thank you. Be safe. The truth and only the truth. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. The White House says President Joe Biden told Russian President Vladimir Putin on Tuesday, that's today, the U.S. is prepared to launch strong economic measures 
uh, if Russia invades the Ukraine, signaling that these new measures would pack a bigger punch than sanctioned issued back in 2014 when uh, Russia refused to stop occupying Crimea. He actually said, quote, I will look you in the eye and tell you that things we did not do in 2014, we are prepared to do now. And during the last several months, Russia has erected supply lines, including medical units and fuel supplies, which could sustain a drawn-out conflict if Moscow decides to invade Ukraine. To talk more about all of this, Elliot Tepper is with us, a professor of political science, Carleton University, and with us now. Elliot, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Oh, thank you, Scott, and, and same to you. So how will or did Vladimir Putin react to this call today? Calmly. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he's made his points very clearly. Both sides did. They were um, the opening. All we got to see was the opening uh, greetings, very friendly. And after that, unlike with uh, the call with President Xi, of, uh, Xi Jinping of China, uh, where we got to see more of the opening banter uh, before they went to dark. Uh, so this was a you know very pleasant opening, and then each side laid out their their um, particular positions. So we did hear directly from President Biden that uh, you better lay off Ukraine because this time, if you do something at all, keeping in mind uh, when he says this time, he's referring back to 2014 mm-hmm. when. Russia indeed grabbed Crimea. The, uh, I guess, other than Georgia and Ossetia, this is the first time that there was a movement of troops across borders to seize territory since, I don't know, 1939. So it, it, we are in a very risky situation. But uh, this, so President Biden said, this time you'll actually pay a cost. Uh, it, and not only that, strong economics, quote, and other measures in the event of military escalation. That's the official readout. So uh, does that make it quite clear that uh, he will take a much different stance than the last president uh, did? And does that make someone like a Vladimir Putin stand down or just push harder? The uh, evidence in the past is that nothing much you say to Mr. Putin is going to change his behavior because, in fact, none of the measures taken hurt him in a very serious way, either materially or in terms of, of his self-perceived role in, in geopolitics and certainly in his neighborhood. The measures they're talking about potentially could have, as it was indicated, a much greater economic impact because they're talking about perhaps cutting off access basically to Western credit uh, for anybody uh, related to named designated uh, entities within the Soviet Union, I'm sorry, within Russia, and uh, that could indeed bite. But there's how can I put this gently? There's been nothing done regarding Russia and Mr. Putin's behavior that has caused him in the Middle East, uh, after Crimea, after the shooting down of MH17, we should remember that, from Russian territory. You can go on, <laughs> you can go on onto YouTube and see you know, the missiles that were brought in yeah. and uh, the shooting down of that airline. So uh, there's been nothing so far really to deter him. Whether he actually plans to do anything, of course, is another question. So is this Vladimir Putin saying, okay, prove it, and well, he'll just keep moving forward until he crosses a line? There was a scholar of, of the area who said, look, if anybody can tell you what Mr. Putin actually is thinking, they're just mm. trying to sell you something. 
he, he's playing his cards very close to his chest. He's got the option, and this was all laid out in a U.S. security and intelligence release. You can read it in your local newspapers or online about the plans, actual plans for an invasion attacking on three sides, basically to wear out and wear down uh, Ukraine and, and uh, move in. But there's no no actual knowing whether this is a bluff, whether it's a, a preparation. The comment on the security analysis was early, you know, basically in January, they plan to invade. But there's no way actually to know what Mr. Putin is thinking. Is this uh, a way of just testing Biden? Because obviously with the last president, uh, the world order <laughs> seemed to be yeah. anything that anybody wanted. Uh, is this him? Is this Vladimir Putin testing Biden? Yes, of course. It is a test of Biden. And Biden, we should, um, everybody is aware that Mr. Biden is beleaguered at home. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the questions that has been raised is why would Mr. Putin do this now? Uh, and last April and May as well, they moved their troops in and then moved them back. Why would he be doing it now? And uh, one of the answers is the perennial that I teach my students, the domestic factors in international politics, hmm. both Mr. Biden and, in his own way, Mr. Putin, are beleaguered at home. So what do you do uh, in the case of Mr. Putin if you want to distract attention from increasing weaknesses that he's facing economically and in terms of protest and Mr. Navalny and uh, a loss of the polls show his popularity is going down. Well, a dandy little war abroad is a great way, as happened over Crimea, to raise your, to raise your popularity, or at least the threat of it and looking strong. And, of course, Mr. Biden, uh, for all of his talk about what the U.S. is going to do and we're going to have a summit of democracies coming up very soon and... Uh, the U.S. is back, and et cetera. The reality is he is bogged down at home severely, and he's hobbled, and the Republicans won't even allow him to appoint ambassadors and uh, others to important posts. So he is very beleaguered at home. Will anybody take Mr. Biden seriously, unfortunately, is a fair geopolitical question. Uh, If something like Crimea happens again, uh, will the U.S. get involved militarily? Uh, The... How can we put this? The possibility that we could stumble into something like an armed conflict is there in this particular buildup. Keeping in mind, there is no security guarantee for Ukraine between bilaterally with the U.S. And Ukraine is not a member of NATO. And a lot of what's going on in terms of Mr. Putin and why is he doing this, he's saying, I don't want another country encroaching anywhere near our borders besides what ukraine isn't actually a separate country it really belongs to us and uh, his rhetoric in that regard has been building up as part of the military build-up as well as part of pressure that he doesn't even recognize them as not part of not his sphere of influence but part of the russian uh, hegemonic enterprise so uh, the the possibility that something could happen is there but that we do not have as far as i know secret treaty secretly arrived at, which led us into the First World War. Uh, the NATO p- pending membership is very much on uh, Mr. Putin's demand. He wants in writing that uh, there will never be a NATO membership brought to uh, to his borders from, from this state, as others have done, Poland and others, former part of the Soviet Union. And he's saying, I, that's a red line for me. Interestingly, and I'd like to quickly dig into this because you have to dig down into it. 
he's also saying, well, that was my red line. I don't want, I want a written guarantee that NATO will not, uh, that Ukraine will never join NATO. And of course, the response is, it's a sovereign country. There's nowhere near, there's a pathway toward NATO, but there's nowhere near membership. There is no Article 5. An attack will not automatically lead to military response by all the NATO partners. But mm. buried away in there is another interesting, and I think uh, we haven't noticed enough of it. Now his red line is, I don't want missiles brought into Ukraine, which can reach Moscow in 7 to 10 minutes. Wow. If they are. So <laughs> there has been a weakening, a weakening of the various measures to prevent war over time. And one of those is the intermediate-range ballistic missiles. He doesn't want any of there. He said, oh, look, we've got hypersonic missiles. We can do things, too, but I don't want them here. To me, this is a call, a clarion call, to reinvigorate the various barriers we've had against armed conflict, including let's have a brand-new treaty. Let's bring China in. Let's That's bring in other neck. countries on yeah. all those missiles because those are nuclear-capable missiles if they did get stationed in Ukraine, and that has been under discussion. I was just about to ask you about China's influence in all of this, but we're going to have to save that for next time. Elliot Tepper with us, professor of political science, Carleton University. Uh, U.S. President Joe Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin have a virtual call today. Boy, we've been through a few of those. You can imagine what it's like between these two. Elliot, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Oh, you're very welcome, and uh, it's always a pleasure. Let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist for your Hamilton Spectator, and is with us now. Scott, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Doing great, Scott. How are you? I'm doing very well, thanks. Let's start uh, start with a poll question of the day. Uh, the United States announcing yesterday that they will diplomatically boycott the Beijing Olympics, which, which basically means the athletes can go, but no dignitaries go, no pomp and circumstance, just get in there, play the game, go. Uh, what are your thoughts on all of this? Should Canada follow the U.S. and do the same thing? Uh, okay, so there's, that's two different questions. So the first question is, what about this? It's a giant, absolute cop-out. They don't, they want to pretend they're doing something, but they don't really want to do something. Uh, you know, if you really wanted a diplomatic boycott, all this means is that Joe Biden can have his nap in the afternoon. It doesn't have to go to the Olympics. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's take this, uh, you know, another step farther, Scott. If it's a, it is a big black eye for China in China. So whether Biden maybe. gets to enjoy his nap or not, it's that, well, no, maybe. It's a big deal when they, China says we're having a party, and if you don't show up, we're going to come back and kick your arse. So okay. that's kind of what the invite is. So this is a big black eye for them not to show up. Other than the opening ceremonies, sometimes, when do you ever see a dignitary on TV or at the Olympics? You don't. And so, well, no, not again. This is not about the fans. This is about the politics behind it all. No, the fans don't see it, but they meet with the dignitaries there. So, my, my point is this if you're making it, there's a couple ways you're trying to make a point here. Um, one of them, hopefully, you're trying to make a point with the Chinese people. Now, I, I'm really torn on the idea of an athlete boycott. I'm really torn on this. Um, mm -hmm. But if you don't have the athletes going, the Chinese people who are attending are going, even though they're not going to be able to see it because the internet is blocked there, they're going to be saying, well, wait a second, why are there no Americans in track and field? They're going to figure, and then you're going to hopefully try and win some hearts and minds of the people there that might change something. No Chinese person, again, because these stories are going to be blocked over there. 
no Chinese person is going to be saying, hey, why is the ambassador to China from the States not in the stands? So, yeah, it could be a little embarrassing, but it doesn't really accomplish anything, is my point. It's a five-minute story over there, then it's gone. Uh, that and being said, should should yeah. should the athletes be going? Well, again, that that's this to me... Um, you know, I don't want to sit on the fence, but this is so hard because I have such respect for the fact that they're putting in four years of their life to train for this. Mm-hmm. And I hate the idea of them becoming political pawns. Uh, to me, should the athletes not be going? If you feel that they potentially could be in danger, then I think you may have to step in. And normally, under almost any other circumstance, even in other, any other situation where we've talked about a boycott, you would say, come on, no, that's not going to happen. But in the last few weeks, we've had this ongoing story about China kind of disappearing its own top female tennis player. Yeah. And if they can make, if that Again, Scott, that just, to me, this just all adds to that story. I mean, it just, it just sure. keeps compounding here. Sure, but if they can make their biggest star go away, um, you know, let's say some one of our athletes is over there and does something that falls afoul of the leadership. Uh, what are the chances that that athlete just went for a walk and got lost? You yeah. know, who knows what? I, and I think it would be outrageous. I think it's almost impossible to imagine. But well, we thought that about the two Michael. We thought that about the two yes, Michaels too. Yes, if you if you as a government come to the decision that our athletes are in danger then I think you have to take a harsher step. If it's simply to make a point, again, I go back and I, I, I find myself, I don't have an answer yet because I'm very conflicted. All right, I uh, just got a minute left here. Uh, a, a company in the United States, a mortgage company, lets 900 people go. They all get fired over Zoom. Should you be firing employees over Zoom? But at least you don't have to get dressed up to go and feel bad sitting in front of everybody. But it is an easy way out for the boss, I'm guessing. What are your thoughts? And you thought that breaking up with your girlfriend on the phone was bad. <laughs> yeah, really? Really? <laughs> right? Really? I mean, and now you're going to tell oh, people to come to work. Uh, look, I, I suppose the one argument that maybe he could make is, how many people did you say? 200 people? 900. 900. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. That would that's take a, a while. That would take a while. That's a lot of interviews to have to do. So maybe that's your one defense. But at the same time, I mean, really? You're letting 900 people go by Zoom, and now you're. And, and you know what the worst part about this is? He's going to do this, and however long it takes—the four minutes, five minutes, whatever—and then it's his HR people that have to deal with all the crap that's flying yeah. everywhere. And meanwhile, he's off living in his beach house in Cabo, going, "Yeah, save 900 jobs." It'll be fascinating to see if this is a trend that continues, because I'm sure it has happened over the course of this global pandemic. Uh, all right, it is uh, 5.57. It's a wrap for the show. Thanks, Scott. Have a great time after the 6 o'clock news. Why, thank you. You as well. Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show. You can read him in your Hamilton Spectator as well. And that's a wrap for us. Thanks for listening. As always, greatly appreciated. Thanks to Will, Ted, and Diana for contributing today. And as always, we leave it to you, the good CHML listener, to have the last word. If Ron Kells has a case with the Arkells, my last name, Hamilton, shouldn't I have something? Shouldn't the city be paying me? Give me a tax break, something, anything. <laughs> Give me a coffee. 
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.